Welcome to the Fake Magic Podcast. Is this I am Jordan, and this is Matt. And you are you. That's what Corey Allen says. We're stealing that from him. <laughs> Corey Allen's podcast is ours now. And I am. Nice. Nice. Um. Oh, I was going to... Have you listened to Tim Dillon at all? I don't think so. The comedian? He's like one of the last comedians left that's just so not okay how funny he is like i mean it's like oh he's just really good anyway i was listening to some of his his podcast this morning and i was legitimately howl laughing at it yeah yeah it's it's actually really it, i i don't recommend it just just for the record i put it up there with like come town as far as like content goes it's a little like if you're easily offended or you're sensitive, like, I'm not saying this is a four-letter word, but if you're, like, sensitive to people being really humorous for the sake of, de- or de- being depraved for the sense of humor, I don't recommend it. But if you're okay with having your feelings hurt a little bit, it's very funny. Yeah. <laughs> put it out there. You gotta, you gotta put your ego on blast sometimes. Yeah, for real. Challenge. Oh, what did he say? He said something today Challenge that legitimately made me uncomfortable. <laughs> Oh, I don't remember. You just have to listen to it. But um, yeah, I trying to think of anything recently that's happening in pop culture that's worth talking about. Um, I haven't been paying attention very much. Really? Yeah. Um, Movies are coming back. That's exciting. There's a girl boss version of Cruella DeVille out. Oh, I definitely had this really weird psychedelic. Well, not psychedelic, but I was just like contemplating what the future has to offer and then i saw this hellscape of a potential scenario because there's that new cruella movie and it's like emma watson girl boss cruella it's like this meta thing in our society where we love first of all everything needs to have a backstory like Mm -hmm. a thing can't just like exist it's like well why and so we like want to reverse engineer everything and just make it like so unbearably not fun because it has to be explained i have a theory about that let's hear it um so it's stuff like the Lord of the Rings universe or like uh, a song of fire and ice mm-hmm. because like we put our attention and focus on it and create a story. The story necessitates both the future and the past. And so the, the mind of God essentially creates one to make a, the, to make the story coherent. Huh? Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I can get down with that. I think we have really bad comic book brain. Oh, yeah. Where we're like, am I talking really loud or is it? Um, You might be closer to the mic than me, but uh, okay, honestly, the, the compression should fix it. Cool, so cool. I'm, I not, just, I'm not really worried about it. Cool. I just want to make sure before I'm like, blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, what I mean by comic book brain, this is also like, it's funny because this is how old school anime used to be. And then anime like meta has gotten really away from this is where like something happens and then you have to like go and rehash the past after it's like not like a thing anymore like everybody's like healed from it i've actually had this happen in my family before where like a family drama happened in 2004 and then in 2014 somebody wanted to rehash it and it was like Uh dude no 
we already played that episode. Like, why are you trying to do it? And it's like, it feels like a filler episode. Do you ever watch like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air where Mm -hmm. they do like the greatest hits episode? Yeah. And it's just horrible. Or they do that on like, they did that on all of the old sitcoms. It It literally feels like a porno compilation. It was like, like, it feels like a later on cream pie or something porno compilation episode. Right. That's what it feels like. I'm just like, oh, you're literally trying to rob me of my dopamine. I'm going to go give this a two star review on IMDb. It makes me mad. It makes me so mad. Uh, like they all do it. Rick and Morty tried to do it too. They did like a meta version of it naturally. Um, oh, anyway, so the hellscape that I saw in my mind was like uh, that Cruella girl boss Emma Watson movie. I haven't seen it yet. I'm probably going to see it just because I am that desperate to go see a movie in the theater and I don't want to see that saw origin story thing because I will. It's n- another origin story. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I will not give Chris Rock any of my money to try to be in another movie because I rolled those dice with Madagascar in 2005 and I was burned and I am still not over it. Yeah. That movie was horrible and I really wanted it to be good. Ben Stiller and Chris Rock in a movie together. I was like, this is going to be funny. It was not. Anyway, so like uh, that there's like this thing that's happening where the vibe that I get from that movie is that like Cruella is like becoming corrupted because she's just like, this is just who she is. And she's becoming the next big, or, I don't even know how to explain it. I, th- I feel like our audience would understand what I'm trying to say without conveying it. But ultimately she starts out as like this, like, woe is me character. And then she becomes empowered, but she has to do some dastardly things to get there along the way. And I just can't help but think this is the scenario that I had is like, God help me if this happens. And I almost don't want to speak it into existence, but it's like Lin-Manuel Miranda. This already makes me nauseous teams up with Disney to do an Ursula musical backstory and Lizzo is Ursula. Oh yeah. And I, I hate to we make her to like the that. bully Pope of this show, but can you imagine how fucking horrible that would be? And not only that, how much like the girl bossification of reality, like the shit libs would eat that up, dude, there would be shirts that would be like, Oh, there'd be some sort of tag in a hook of a song that would be like, well, sometimes you have to. Well, sometimes you have to. And then it, there's like a musical number and there's like dolphins dancing and shit. Yeah. And like, oh, like hyper realistic, but like oh, way out of like right in the uncanny oh, valley. Oh my God. And people are going to be so okay with it being not good. People are going to be so okay with it not being good. It's not, it's going to get a pass. It's not going to be like cats, that cats movie that came out and everybody was like, yeah, what the fuck, dude? That was too much uncanny. Valley. Yeah. That gave me COVID. That movie gave me COVID nineteen. Yeah, um. <laughs> that's why we're here today in this in this present. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, so anyway, that was the uh, world that I lived in, and uh, that was uh, almost triggering well, me into a psychotic break. Imagining creates reality. Yeah, and, right. Uh, so now we're, now gonna, we're see, gonna see it. We're gonna see Lizzo, Ursula. I just and. I, uh, gonna be good one of the things i've been guilty of like i will catch myself in the metaculture of like being a shit lib for a minute and then i'm like feeling really hyper guilty for it and then i want to draw attention to it by talking about it and i realize that that's what causes me to be a part of it and the reason i bring that up was like one of the redactions that i have to make about my personal life was ever using they them pronouns that was a huge mistake 
uh, I wouldn't even say mistake. It's a lesson learned because well, you know, it wasn't. You're, you're just a seeing thing. who you are. Yeah, though, I was trying know? it on. I was you're, trying it on, and I don't regret that. But you it feel is definitely androgynous, right? Yes, and I think I can be me without having to put labels on it. And I, dude, talking about this like That's honestly sort of just makes I'm me at. annoyed because I'm like, I don't feel like a need to explain myself, but at the same time, I feel like if I don't. Then it's like, oh well. Then how did that happen? But I, people don't think about me as much as I think they do. But it like makes me feel good to like say it into the void that I uh, I'm not using they them pronouns anymore. But if somebody calls me a they or a them, I'm, it's not the end of my world. But right. I'm not gonna ever correct anybody. And that's uh, sort of how I felt. Um, because like I mean, I sort of feel fairly straight, but like I'm also not masculine. Yeah. Um, so I feel like as far as I feel internally, it's like fairly uh, androgynous, but I just don't care <laughs> about the pronouns. That's like where I'm at. And, too. you know, like I'll respect them. I always respect them for people because yeah, I, cool want, I want them to be comfortable with whatever um, experience they're going through. Yeah. But just like for me personally. I'm just like, that's just too much of a hassle. I'd rather just move on with my day. <laughs> the they-them the pronouns for me ultimately was an excuse to draw attention to myself and not deal with my mental health. And that, like, once I realized that, I was like, oh, my God. This is probably within the last, like, three, four weeks that I was like, oh, man, I was literally just, like, using this as a cry for attention. I mean, and I, I didn't see it as that. Fair enough. Um, Once I internalized it that way, you know, it definitely changed my perception. And th- there's nothing wrong with just trying it out to, to see if that's how, like what you vibe with. You yeah. Know? You're, you know, you're just figuring yourself out. We're young adults coming out of our 20s, and we have no idea what the fuck is going on. So. Right, right. The world's <laughs> just getting even more, like, confusing. Yeah, but. odd and more meta. Well, and, like, <laughs> yeah, seriously. It's like, it feels like there can't just be a single thing without a scrutinized unpacking of what it actually is underneath. Um, what I miss about the lack of internet growing up... Like, I mean, I had dial-up, but, I mean, you could only get on so much if, mm-hmm. you're, if your parents were okay with it in the first place, even. But I just miss worrying about my, like, five square miles of world that I grew up in and not worrying about or thinking about the rest of it. I, I mean, you could call it maybe, like, blissful ignorance or something, but I just miss the innocence of it, you know? Yeah. And just... Not worrying about, like, not even knowing there was conflict overseas. I mean, it's good to be aware of it, but there's just, like, that blissful feeling of being a kid, you know? Right. It's like, I am so genuinely tired of discussing the Palestinian-Israeli conflict like I have a dog in the fight. Right. And then not only that, but, like... Like, like our opinion would even change the outcome. Yeah, or, like, even that, like, I'm supposed to have an opinion on it. It's like, I hate all the Abrahamic religions, yeah. That umbrella is huge, and that includes Islam and Judaism. I don't like any of the Abrahamic religions. At least the mainstream, the the occulted, like uh, hidden, oh, like, yeah, the, like the inner order stuff. Like yeah, the, the real the occulted practitioners of the Kabbalion are uh, incredible, yeah. and the the Gnostic Christians that are doing like ceremonial magic. That's fine. I I don't care, and I yeah. know that um, even in Islam they have like lots of ceremonial magic that they do like within the cu- culture. Yeah, which is dope. That's I, I'm fine with that. I mean. Also, they don't need my permission. I quite frankly don't care. Right. Uh, Well, I'm just pro-humans not killing each other. Have you seen... Like, causing suffering. Dude, I've seen these Instagram personalities that are, like, woke, 
and but then like they're Jewish. And so they're using the Israeli-Palestinian conflict as a flag to wave to feel sorry for themselves. And so, like, they will post something that's like, you can be pro-Palestinian, but you don't have to be anti-Semitic about it. And it's like, okay, now you're literally just... I, I That's something that, like, didn't need to be said to be obvious. Right. And now you're just trying to draw attention to yourself. So congratulations. Yeah. You did a great job on that, but you're literally throwing yourself a pity party. Nobody was trying to be anti-Semitic here. Um, it's like that thing that I shared last night on Instagram. That was like, uh, you didn't need to hand out, uh, Nazis are not allowed here flyers at your punk show because Nazis have no interest in going and seeing a green haired girl on stage. Talk about how she's a bug. <sighs> I was like, yeah, I agree with that. Like it's, it's not going to change anything. All it does is like continue to entrench people in their own opinions and then like create more microcosms of like identity that divide people more. Right. So anyway, that's, that's my hill to die on with <laughs> metaculture. And, uh, I'm glad that I said all of that. Um, you know, <laughs> give me, give me six months and I'll have changed my mind again. So I just want to go ahead and, preface all of that by saying that I am not uh, a voice of reasoning and as a matter of fact I'm pretty dumb and I'm very okay with that I just want to make the disclaimer that my opinions uh, do not reflect that of my employer and uh, anyway uh, should, <laughs> should we do an ad read real quick have you been feeling down uh, lately and so I I know of a pretty good cure that might work for well, half the things you just said well it's, okay uh, nice nice that was schmaltzy uh, as we turn our attention to Neville Goddard who you can argue is he's just a teacher of occulted Judaism and Christianity yeah yeah uh, so we're going to move on to a another really good technique by Neville. It's called revision. Um, so I'm just going to get into how to do it. Um, and I wrote this guide on Reddit, and I'll, I'll post it in the show notes. Um, I wrote it back when I moderated the Neville Goddard subreddit. Um, so this technique, known as revision, was taken from Neville Goddard's 1954 lecture, The Pruning Shears of Revision. So what you do is you you review an event that didn't go the way you wanted it to go. Um, and, you know, this could be any event that happened at any point in your life. And you just review it. You don't judge it. You, you just look at it from, like, a neutral point of view, like a third person. And in your imagination, you rewrite and revise the event the way you wish it would have gone. So like if you rolled your ankle or something, you would go into the state akin to sleep and you would, you would Im imagine the ankle just not rolling at all. You, you would just continue your walk and you would, uh, you would imagine that over and over again. Um, the state akin to sleep, uh, as we talked about on the last episode, um, just to review it, it's a it's it's just a state where you feel completely relaxed, and uh, it can be done in any comfortable position, lying, laying down, whatever. 
Um, so yeah, you rele- you relive that revised event in your imagination over and over again until the imagined state begins to take on the tones of reality. That is, until it starts feeling as though it may have actually happened the way you would have preferred. And then you either fall asleep while repeating the scene, or you wake up from this drowsy state once you know it is done. Um, Neville advises us at the end of each day to revise our day the way we wish it would have gone, then relive the day in our imagination in accordance with our desire until it feels real. And through this method, you can revise any unwanted event, and you will find that in the coming days and weeks, things will start to change for the better in accordance with your revision. And then this is a quote taken from uh, the lecture, The Pruning Shears of Revision. It seems that it's real, that I actually did experience it, and I have found from experience that these revised days, if really lived, will change my tomorrows. When I meet people tomorrow that today disappoint me, they will not tomorrow. For in me, I have changed the very nature of that being, and having changed him, he bears witness tomorrow of the change that took place within me. And um, so I was thinking about uh, my own successes with revision. And um, one of them was uh, my my brother and his uh, family was in town. And uh, we were supposed to go do dinner, but one of his kids was feeling really sick. And they're like, I don't think we can go. She's sick. She's throwing up. And so I, I wanted to see him because I don't uh, get to see them as often as I would like. Um, so I just started rereading the text in my mind, said, hey, we're good to go for dinner. Dinner's still on. Dinner's still happening. And I I just did that in my head until I felt the relief of it as if it were to actually happen. And a little bit later, I forgot if they called or texted me, but they said she was like, yeah, she was throwing up and all that. And then she felt fine. She got up. She was running around. It was like it never happened. And they came out and we ate at the pie in uh, Salt Lake City. Nice. Which is delicious. Nice. (laughs) Nice. I have one as well. Um, Mine's like more... I sad, I guess, but it ended up being like a really good thing. Um, at my dad's wake, I was just like blitzed. I just like, for whatever reason, I chose to cope by getting really blisteringly drunk. I mean, I feel and, like you're not the only one to do that. Right. <laughs> um, and I showed up and then they asked me if I would speak. And then I just basically drunkenly fumbled through all of these regrets that I had about what I wish I could have done with my dad before he died. And my aunt basically had to like mic mute me and be like, Hey, we're going to give you another shot. Um, happy stuff. (laughs) And I was like, fuck. Uh, and so then like, okay, so here's the thing is like, uh, like my whole family, I could feel it. It was like palpable. Have you ever been on a date before and like things were going well and you realized that they were going well and suddenly they weren't going well because you realized that they were going well? No. Okay, just me. That's fine. Um, 
I think you um, have a lot of revision to do. After yeah, this. right, right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that'll ha- that uh, uh, on a little anecdote. I do want to get back to that, but that's something that does happen to me a lot. Is I'll be like with somebody, and it, like on a date, things will be going well, and I'll realize they're going well, and then I'll be like what do I need to do to keep doing this? Like, I want this to continue to go that way. Why am I thinking about it now? Like I'm like analyzing it and I'm so, like, so oh, it's like date night from the it's office. Exactly what it is. So, and, and he's I going hate. on a wonderful date. And then he real, they, he's like, uh, Oh, we're on a date puts on the hat. And, yeah. I'm date night. Nice Mike. to me. Nice to me. <laughs> so stupid. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, then I got my chance to like speak again. And this time I like, this time I spoke from the heart because life is not about learning to f- wait for the storm to pass. It's about learning to d- dance in the rain. Um, no, fuck that shit. Um, I, no, I'm just kidding. I, so I got this chance to speak again and I, I just basically asked all of my family if they would like reach out to me like further on after this wake and any of the memories that they had of my dad that were good that they could like share them with me like if they could just reach out to me and tell me stories about my dad uh and then i just started having all of these people reach out to me later on and tell me things about my dad that were really cool that i had no idea about um and basically the way that i perceived the revision on that was that like uh my biggest concern was that people were going to remember me as like this blisteringly drunk, like depraved, depressed man child of somebody who died relatively tragically. And, uh, with the revision, it was like, I was able to celebrate that and then perceive it in a completely different light. Yeah. That's what the revision does for me is it allows me to see, the way that things could have been perceived and then the way that I choose to see how things were perceived and that then becomes my reality. So, and so people think, and I I think it might be possible to literally like physically change the past. I think it's possible. Um, But most of the time what revision does is changes how a past event impacts you in the present and then the future. So like, They use um, Neville Goddard's revision. They don't call it that, but like if you read uh, tra- certain trauma books, they talk about reenacting of trauma events. So this is stuff in, that they uh, literally do in therapy. Yeah, like they, it's it's scientifically valid. People with CPTSD, they will, or, or if you see a union analyst, I've had a union analyst recently who would do what's called extending the dream. And so basically she was asking me to explain like all of these things that I was uh, interpreting from the stream. And like, it was like a cinematic linear experience that I was having in the stream. And she's like, okay, so what happens after that? I was like, well, I don't know. I woke up and she goes, no, I, I want you to explain to me what goes on in the dream after that. And I was like, oh, like kind of like you want me to make believe about these like feelings that I'm having about these experiences that I'm experiencing that are being reenacted in my subconscious. And then what happens for me, at least in Jungian psychoanalytics is when you start to extend the dream and try to perceive your reality from this light of like, Oh, like I am literally just interpreting what it is that was occurring to me. And then I'm basically making it whatever I want it to be. Uh, I don't know where I'm going with that, but I, the idea of the extension of the dream ultimately for me, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, is that like you get to alter the way that your perception is of things. I, 
maybe I should give an it's, it's sort of making the unconscious a little bit more conscious. Yeah. Because you're like, well, what do you think would happen after you woke up? And whatever you make up is essentially probably what would have happened. Right. Or moreover, it's like the way that you're explaining it to yourself. That's what I think about, like, with memories in general, is that they're yeah. it basically they're not real. Right. They're, and they change. They, and they're yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, um, I know. Um, uh, what's his bucket? Rune soup. Uh, Gordon White. Gordon White talks about how history is a living and breathing thing and that like we often view history and the past as like a dead thing but it's very much occurring right now yeah because we think about it and it's alive in our present consciousness and and it and it affects directly where we are right here you know like american culture is a byproduct of the past so therefore the past is still alive with it as we speak this is also ties into like ancestral work yeah so like um back to the trauma stuff um so like with revision and they talk about it in academia is like they'll have group therapy like a bunch of people who have had uh, like cptsd and they'll pick they'll pick a memory out to enact and then they'll be like okay say to your mom what you wish you could have said when like these events were happening or your dad or your uncle or whatever and you basically enact them in the way that they should have gone now that might not like physically change what did happen but what it does change is how the mind perceives it and it it essentially gives your brain permission to let go of the event and so now like you revised it um and it it placates something in your brain that needed to be like acknowledged and so now you find yourself in the present a little bit more and not so controlled by like the fear and the flashbacks of the trauma because you revised it and it takes time and effort to do it really well um this is a so i've done this before and i just have to give you fair warning that it could be a potentially like triggering experience um so uh, there was one day where I wrote down all of the trauma and all of like the things that I perceived that were, that were bad that happened to me in my entire life. And I'm talking like I went through almost year by year or like, uh, so I like did first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade. And I recalled like all of these like terrible memories and I went back and I revised every single one of them. Um, I need to do it again, I think. It probably takes a few rounds to become really effective, but can be triggering if you've had a, lo- a lot of trauma. You can also um, integrate EMDR into it as well if you're, like, trying to... Uh, so one of the things that will happen as well is... Uh, but by the way, I just want to say this isn't medical advice. This is my personal experience, so your mileage may vary. But uh, you go to an event that obviously caused you hurt and it's really calcified because you've just built so much ego around it. And then if you use the EMDR, like the rapid eye movement therapy, it'll loosen it up and then you can really start to process it. It is intense. Uh, yeah. It's very accessible. Just be really careful with the amateur EMDR. Cause you can look up a video that will do the movements for you and you just track your eyes with yeah. the eye movements um, and then you can start going through events and revising them or reprocessing them. It's pretty intense though without therapy, like an actual therapist. So uh, 
If you have a weak constitution, probably do it in therapy rather than by yourself. What do you mean by constitution in that regard? Like if you were to uncover something horrific that you forgot about and you weren't in a place to deal with it. Because EMDR can make you recover forgotten memories. So stuff like that. Yeah. It's possible. I mean, I you know, I've done it myself, but... Uh, just be really prepared. That's that's the thing I think inherently with repressed emotions and and just like that's the idea for me with revision. I'm just like now I'm I'm recalling like one thing for me was like I was a serial bedwetter until I was like twelve or thirteen. I just it was like a very obvious neurodivergence. Um my parents like tried to put salve on it all the time. They were just like, Oh, it's like this thing or, Oh, it's just this thing, you know? And then they, yeah. But like what it ultimately, dude, I it, at that same wake that my parents or at my dad's wake, I was talking with my aunt who was kind of estranged. I hadn't really had a conversation with her in my adult life. And she was basically explaining to me some things that she had observed in my childhood that were not acceptable. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, understand what those things were and it i mind you i'm still pretty drunk and i'm like having these realizations and i was like oh no no." yeah it was like also the part of it that was ironic as well was i realized that i was using the drinking as a coping mechanism to try and hide the actualization of things that i already knew in regards to this mm-hmm. and that was really hard oh uh, yeah i'm just i'm just reflecting on a lot of this because i ended up better off for it too yeah once i started to let all of these things be loose and understand uh because you see all partly as well how your childhood how uh there's parts of it that affect what's going on t- with you right now a freud would say everything that's happening right now is a direct consequence of your childhood Jung would kind of say that Jordan Peterson would say that it's definitely the case I think it's kind of a mix of the three um but yeah it just made me realize like oh these things that happened in my childhood they're happening right now yeah because you essentially relive you know that's what PTSD is is reliving the past over and over and over again (laughs) So even though the the physical event has ended, your your brain replays it over and over and over, whether it's consciously or unconsciously, and it comes out unconsciously in the form of like tics and uh, self sabotage, um, brain fog, um, and basically like if you ever we'll have to do an episode on uh, the body keeps the score. Yes, but these memories they essentially want to be processed. And they want to be filed away in in the past in a way where the conscious or the unconscious brain understands, hey, this event is no longer happening to me. So I no longer have to react with extreme anxiety and panic attacks. And because um, that's essentially what the problem of PTSD is, is the brain reliving a traumatic event over and over and over and over again. Yeah, well, and, and from the Vedic perspective of PTSD, I'm not a uh, foremost expert on it, but this is something that I've explored because uh, I, I am somebody who likes to think that they might have a lot of CPTSD, which inherently might just be Munchausen's. Um, I can't tell. I can't tell between the two because one of the things I've caught myself doing as well is fabricating memories. 
I don't know if you've caught your uh, ever experienced this, but like I will be like reliving a memory from the past and I will try to make it something that it isn't. This is another part of revision that I think you have to be careful with in regards to like, I will go back and relive like a really uncomfortable memory. And then I'll be like, well, did more happen? Like did something else happen? Yeah. And then I like try to try something on that didn't happen. Which that's basically unconsciously using revision to make the memory worse rather than better. Right. Like where it would be beneficial is to just rewrite the whole memory and have it go the way it should have gone. I have this vivid memory when I was in the fourth grade. There was these two girls. They were really good friends. And I was really shy, obviously. Didn't know how to interact with them. I wasn't the, that kind of kid. I wasn't the I wasn't the boy that was like interacting with all of the girls and being hyper flirtatious. I was very shy. And uh, girls made me very nervous all the time. Um, anyway, I told this one boy who was very popular that I had both of them were my girlfriends. <laughs> and then he went around the whole school and told everyone that I had said that, obviously, this lie. And then it like came back. They like basically came out to me and they were like, did you tell people that that happened? And I was like, no. Definitely and they not. were like, well, I just want to make sure you know that it didn't happen. Obviously, it wasn't this sophisticated, but they were just like, you told the whole school that this happened when it didn't. And I was like whoa, like my words have consequences. Like it was just a really prolific memory. <laughs> I, I will like reflect on that sometimes when I think about like engaging with people romantically, I will be like, I need to make sure I'm telling the truth or else everyone in the school is going to know I'm a liar. Like that's like the main, like the headspace that I'm thinking of when I think of that kind of thing. <laughs> but <laughs> that's, that's a little funny. Yeah, no, it it is comical. I think one way to learn, I guess. Yeah, I I I don't know if I have like a humiliation kink, and this is like how I'm like expressing it, but like I don't. I at least I don't think I will like sometimes try that on. Don't revise it and make it a fact. Yeah, right. Unless you want to. Right. I've like tried. (laughs) I've like tried to try humiliation on before to see if it was like something that I would find like sexually appealing. Uh, it turns out I don't. You're like, like, I hate every minute of this. <laughs> like, I saw, I, I could hear these two people audibly, like... You weren't, like, licking, um, like, handrails in public with your dominatrix, were you? No. No. Okay. I, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I, I heard these two people one time at the bar that were talking about me, like, very negatively, and they didn't know I was within earshot. <laughs> and then I came over... See, it's the gossip thing. And they, you evoke what you gossip about. Right. Well, I came over to them talking about me, and they were, like, obviously, like, super uncomfortable, but I, in a state of neurosis, was like, <laughs> would you guys mind if you kept going? Because I'm really enjoying this. <laughs> and they were both like, get the fuck away from us. <laughs> and I was like... Okay, well, I at least asked for consent before I continued to eavesdrop, even though they were talking about me. But I was like really getting off on them, like negatively speaking about me. Well, that's just funny though, because like you yeah. go up and they probably feel mortified and uncomfortable for being caught. Yeah, I think which it was makes like, it better. Yeah, know? there was like so. this like shame thing that was involved too. You're I was like, like leave us alone. Yeah, yeah, I know. Oh, it was so funny. It was like palpable tension too, but. That's great. I wish I was there for that. I yeah, I I it's happened a couple times too. Like it's happened to me at work before where like I could tell that somebody was unhappy with me and then I'm like, "Do you want to talk about it?" cuz I could hear them talking about me. 
And I'm like, I don't have a problem. Like, let, we can just address this. You're and like, I, uh, might as well address it now because I could hear everything you're saying. But the, my uh, favorite part, like, I could think of one memory in particular where I did this. And the person that was talking about me was like, I'm going to be honest. I don't even want to discuss this with you because I know I could be completely honest and tell you how you're feeling and you're not going to change. And I was like, all right. Like, that's 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 fair. And I've also had this wonder before. I know we're getting a little off topic, but I think the riffing is like very relevant to this idea. Um, Chris Pratt said in an interview one time, what people say about me when I'm not around is none of my business. Um, I do kind of dig that. I do love it. Um, it's, I mean, it takes a while, you know, if you're really sensitive or if you're insecure, it takes a while to train yourself to not care, care about what uh, other people think. But um, when you get there, though, it's incredible. Like at work, I really don't give a shit about my coworkers' opinions about me. And I think paradoxically, it makes people like you better. Than, uh, it, oh, that is interesting. Because you can feel like when someone's super insecure, like a, they say like narcissists um, are actually, they're not, they're closer to being just hyper insecure than uh, actual like sociopaths. So, like, narcissists will try to overcompensate to the point where they just completely come off as douchebags. And uh, they, they're they so uncomfortable and they try to compensate so hard that it end up, ends up backfiring and they end up hurting people around them. And uh, when you're around people like that, it's, like, palpable. You can just, like, feel something's really off in the air. But if you go to someone who legitimately does not give a shit about what other people think, all of that, uh, that thick weirdness is just not present around them. Well, it's funny that you say that because I uh, was like, I had this obsessive compulsion. I was telling you about it last night where I was like so scared that I might be a narcissist. And I was like, oh my God, I might be. I was like convincing myself I was a narcissist. narcissist and I was like, Oh shit. Like I have been, I have been so selfishly like taking advantage of people. Like I was convincing myself of these things. I was like, I've been taking advantage of this person at work and like making them do this one task because I don't want to. And I was like, and that makes me a narcissist. So naturally I took a a Facebook quiz, right? Like not an actual Facebook quiz. I like went to this like narcissistic (laughs) web, not a narcissist.com. Yeah. It wasn't like a website (laughs) full of narcissists. It was a website for people that are like seeking treatment for personality disorders. And I took this narcissism quiz and it put me in the mild narcissism spectrum. Like, like the, I feel like the quizzes the, like that always say you're a little bit of oh, whatever yeah. you're looking. Oh up, yeah, you dude. Know? It's just like when you go to WebMD and you're like, I have back pains, and it's like you have cancer. terminal cancer. Like yeah. you're definitely gonna die in a week because your knee hurts. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, this is kind of like the testament to. Well, I think that's kind of the testament to the dangers of the internet as well. Is like well, everything it, is always worst case scenario because we live for like shock factor. Well, also the internet's basically a cognitive bias machine where <laughs> if you Google anything, you're gonna find proof for whatever you're looking for. Right. It's it it's Flat kind of Earth gross and that or magic. I mean, like that's yeah. the other thing is like if magic, you go looking for if you go looking for like a cult like <laughs> validation on the internet, you're gonna find it without like trying it out. Well, that's why uh, that's why I practice chaos magic because that's be- the belief as a tool, and essentially whatever you believe in is real. 
to you at least have you right have you um come across like the armchair magicians who i i don't want to be mean i'm not talking about anyone in particular this is just more of an affectation it's like the people okay i'm gonna be a little mean it's like the people who use the term quote-unquote baby witch or things like this yeah that and one then they're like they're literally just like you, you they're using like tiktok for clout and they're like talking about how they like conjured up these spells or like those people that like a year ago were like all these baby witches got together and hexed the moon and that's the reason that there's like all this weird shit going on right now and i was like go fuck yourselves like honestly that's annoying that you said that now if you got enough people together and you did you performed a thought experiment like that and you are going to call it occultism that's fine but the the characteristic that i'm trying to get at particularly is like the people who are like one foot in one foot out and they like i mean that's me so maybe i'm making fun of myself but uh these people in particular these people in particular are like they're letting social media know about it before they're actually like trying Um, to get the results of it uh, they violate a lot of magic by doing that one is silence because if you tell people about your ritual it falls apart (laughs) their thoughts and their ideas and their opinions are now are now involved in your ritual that's why you go it's it even says it in scripture go and tell no man yeah because you tell them after you've done the magic and after you've seen the results. Well, so and uh, there was a episode. John Michael Greer was on the Higher Side chats uh, with Greg Carlwood. Highly recommended, by the way. Um, and he was talking about the magic resistance and like the witches against Trump and how it essentially did next to nothing except maybe helped him get him out of office. But uh, he says the reason why it did next to nothing is because, well, the 4chan chaos magicians who got Trump elected didn't tell anybody about it. Yeah. Uh, The magical resistance announced to the world everything they were doing. Um, And basically, by doing so, gave away all the power. Yeah. I I mean, from a scriptural perspective as well, is like... uh, one of the things I've been reading about recently with like occult practices, like uh, if you want to amplify your magic, you do so by uh, being charitable. Uh, yeah, if you give to charity or if you help someone down on their luck and you donate, you like uh, basically dedicate the act to a, a deity like Fortuna or something that really adds some extra juice. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's. There was a statue of Fortuna right there. That's sick. There was this uh, thing that happened where I was seeing, I saw someone in public who was volunteering and I wanted to go talk to them about it. And then immediately I was reminded of this Ram Dass conversation where he said, when you see someone that is trying to be of service of other people, leave them alone because they are trying to communicate with God. And when in by doing so you interrupt that channel by interacting with it, it's more of a, like a synchronicity, like you're observing somebody trying to find God and you just like, leave it like that. Um, I don't even know why I brought that up. I just like, I've been thinking about that recently in regards to like when people do good things, uh, not good congratulating them or like letting them know that you've like recognized it, especially if it's like something that you're like observing, but like not patronizing them. Right. And I think it's okay to, you know, 
say thank you or whatever, praise them a little bit for doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think the danger is when you do, when you go into charity and you start announcing it to people. Yes. Because that's what makes me nervous. That basically negates it. Um, I feel like if you go up to them and you recognize them for doing service because you saw them doing it, that's fine. But if they were like posting it on social media or if they're like that one company who spent a million dollars to advertise that they donated a million dollars. Yes. Um, you know, if you're on that level, that basically uh, <laughs> that basically evens out and neutralizes any magic you were trying to do in a charitable sense. Uh, but, I, you know, I think recognizing an individual for helping is fine. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think maybe not, for me personally, it's like in the act of it, I don't want to interfere. Sure. If I, if I like see or I experience it in that regard, but yeah. But yeah. in the silence thing, that's why I don't talk about any like active workings that I'm doing on the podcast or anywhere because I, I don't need your consciousness or anyone else's consciousness to interfere with it unless you're on my team. I, I hear and you. You don't doubt me, you know. I <laughs> see. And my thing is like I. Uh, one thing magic has made me work on is being better at keeping a secret, uh, because I'm not good at keeping secrets. Well, you you already know the power of silence in music. It's not where you play; it's where you don't play. Yeah, totally. That's the the literal like same principle. Yeah, but in occultism uh, and magic. When I. Uh, as like a thought experiment as like an art experiment i had this professor when i was studying music in my undergrad that he like had the five of us basically play free whatever we wanted to for like five minutes in a dimly lit room he like set a timer for five minutes whatever we wanted to play we played but the two rules were the first one was that the silence is the music and anything that we were playing was taking away from the silence and the second part was there was this cup it was like a uh, just a cup from a, a cupboard that he had set on a stool in the middle of the room and he was like anytime that you play music try to fill that cup up with warmth and make it overflow so like the energy was being channeled into an edifice Damn, that's, like an, that's like a legitimate occult yes ritual. it is it is <laughs> and uh the the music that you can make with somebody in the span of five minutes by doing that is fucking insane or even like rehearsing should have uh, recorded some of those sessions. Oh, uh, well we did. We did. Oh, cool. We did. Yeah. It's, um, have you ever heard of Terry Riley? I don't know. He was just an interviewed by Brian or, uh, by, uh, you know, the, the guy who did the astral hustle. I can't believe I, Corey Allen. I literally started the episode by taking some of his stuff. Um, he just interviewed him and Terry Riley, he wrote this music, dude. It's so sick. He basically is like a new thought psychedelic music writer. Um, composer is the word that some people will use. Um, he wrote this song called NC. I performed it with like a group of 20 people before. And basically what it is, is it's these cells, these repetitive cells of like little licks. So like one lick, it's all in C major and one lick will be like, bum, 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 bum. And then another lick will be like, bum, 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 bum. And then another lick will be like, bum, 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 bum. And then there's, so they're all comp complimentary riffs, right? Yeah. And then there's 60 cells of it. And you basically each artist, each musician within the group is moving at their own pace through these cells. So you just change when you feel like it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that sounds great. That, it, that reminds me of, uh, you know, on like Ableton live, you can have like your, uh, like a Kai, like pad. I forgot what those are called where 
so like have you ever used ableton or anything like not it? really so like what you can do is um you can have a bunch of like electronic instruments and you have like this part this part this part this part this part this part and they all go together like loops and you you map those to your pad with you know like eight or like 16 and each pad plays that loop so you turn them on and off by hitting it so it reminds me of that in a way because you can turn them all it's on similar and, idea and for they, sure they mesh but then you could turn them off some of them off some of them on the, it's not the same exactly but it's a cool, very similar idea what's cool about terry riley's music not to spoil it either i i will add this caveat as well is you can go look up terry riley's music on youtube you can look it up on spotify you can listen to it you can it's sick but until you've performed it or heard it live, there's nothing like it. It's just so that music is so vibrant and alive in the moment. Yeah, I was gonna um, say it's it's built to basically change expression every time it's played. Well, it's to keep it as like fresh as it possibly can. This is what I love about jazz music is it's literally spontaneous creation. Yeah. Within like the framework of an archetype. Yeah. It's so sick. Yeah. Like when you there's, start there's to some rules comprehend to keep the, glue, the glue together, but those rules but keep even it those beautiful. even those can come un hinged if everybody's agreeing to creating a new set of rules but yeah. like the thing is is you almost don't even want to meta critique those rules by talking about them because that sucks the life out of the art yeah like there's this musician named brad meldow and he uh will play p he plays piano and him and joshua redmond this really famous tenor player one of my favorites of all time they will do duo stuff where they're like playing a tune and then all of a sudden you have no clue where you are right it's turned it it's devolved into the soupy thing that you can't put a name on and it is so sick right but it's because it's a living and breathing thing uh the what i wanted to give a to talk about with terry riley's music in this regard is like that song in c you would think at some point that the music turns into this cacophony of noise and that is almost like unlistenable to just because there's so many things going on that it just sounds chaotic uh and in one essence, you can kind of get there. But what's cool is like that sound makes you feel things like when you're with like a group of 20 people that are deliberately trying to create that essence, that chaotic noise is like really expressive and creative. Right. It's it's one of a kind. It's such a cool feeling. I'm going to have to look it up. We uh, just, if I can, one last thing with this, we also played this song that was written by this Swedish group called bang on a trash can. And it's called the workers union. And basically it's the same idea, right? Except for, uh, all of the sounds are meant to recreate the noises of a factory. That's kind of fun. It's super fun. So it's yeah. like, and it's like a really weird, like gross, like, like industrial noise that you're making. Cause like the first riff of the whole thing is like, it literally sounds like machines. Yeah. And then like certain noises get into there where they're like making these sounds like, but then you've like got it all going like within 20 people and it just like, just, it sounds like work and it's like the grossest feeling because it like elicits that emotion from you. Um, that's another one that I would recommend right. checking out or performing with your friends. That just reminds me just since we're going off on this tangent. Um, when I was in drum corps, we learned a song called fresh trash. Um, so what we did was we had the song and you had a bunch of trash cans and you have like your uh, marching percussion sticks, but then you're going like over and under your neighbor's hands and playing on their trash can, coming back to yours, playing on theirs, and you make like really cool patterns. Um, but what was super cool was we wrote uh, just like a 
a drumline song before that, like maybe a one or a two minute, and then slowly marched up to trash cans and like transitioned to the trash cans and then played the rest of the song. It's just, I love, I just love when you're being cre- really creative and you don't like have to have rank and file drums. Like you can play on whatever. It's like I, those street performers. Who I do love that stuff. Shit, like with I, buckets and all that. There's like, um, the duality of that. It for me is uh, the yin yang of being creative with percussive instruments is a high form of liberated expression and hacky. Oh yeah, it, <laughs> and you have to be careful because like if you go watch street performers on Fremont Street in Vegas that are like playing the drums on like the Home Depot buckets and shit, the first four minutes of it is sick. Well, yeah, I mean, it gets and old. And then eventually, eventually it turns into street performance. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, and, and I'm not even trying to criticize this. The, the thing that I'm saying is like uh, the, 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 the key piece to art, if you're going to fuel it with creativity, like spontaneous creativity, is innovation. You have to constantly keep making new stuff because if you're just going to like you can't <laughs> you can't <laughs> create a band that's like going to go and create this creative like spontaneous music and then be like Aerosmith and take your greatest hits on the road. People aren't going to give a shit. Like they don't want to hear dream on the create the like liberated Terry Riley version of dream on. They want to hear the most newest thing that he is doing. And you can actually make that case with like Herbie Hancock right now. Like her, if you go see Herbie Hancock live, there's a really good chance. He's not going to play watermelon man or rocket. Like he's not going to play either of those or sly. He's not going to play like his hits because he's coming up with new shit. And that's what made him so innovative. And this is also why I have like such a deep love for miles Davis is because bless you is because miles Davis, uh, refused to get old. I mean, when he wrote bitches brew, I mean, this is in the eighties and it's like just the weirdest, coolest shit. But it's not recognizable in relation to 1960s miles, cool, cool miles, late 50s, rather, uh, because uh, the only common factor between the two is miles. He was just constantly innovating. Yeah. And so that, that that's my only thing. Caveat with like art is like, I mean, I'll, I'll say that doesn't guarantee you'll stay popular if you do that as far as an artist for sure. I mean, like AFI changes their sound a ton and like ceremony and like a lot of their old school fans are disappointed, but that's because, okay. So like, this I is, like it, one of but. the things that's dangerous. So like, have you ever met like an eighties rock? Uh, okay. I don't need to ask. Everyone knows an eighties rock band dad that like only listens to like Van Halen, uh, and ACDC journey, journey yeah. Boston. Okay. Now it, when that old head says music just isn't the same as it used to be. Okay. What they're actually saying is, is not music sucks now. They're saying it sucks that I got old. <laughs> That's what they're saying. I love that. That's what they're saying. And like, so in a way they're, they're making themselves really like they're living in a nostalgic state that can induce depression, um, which is, which you have to be careful of. There's a cover- pretty much what a midlife crisis is. Yeah. Right? I mean, there's a, <laughs> Oh yeah. Like I, I have to actually cut ties with people. If they let, I went to high school with, if I see them and it's been 10 years now, and they want to talk about high school. Um, 
I mean, I, I think it's good to placate feelings of nostalgia, like I, on a health level. But there is, but when they, oh, but, but but when you never leave it, though. when they, yeah, when that's, they live there, dude. Like it it's is like okay, scary. but let's do like let's make new memories though too. Like yes. that was fun and hilarious, but let's do like a new fun and hilarious thing. It's scary, man. <laughs> like I, those people like scare the shit out of me. Like I don't, I don't really want to talk about the past in, at length, like and live in it. I, there's like a boundary for me there. Um, it's the same idea with like nostalgia dad. Well, you're just, you're trying to make the past present or, or in a way you do. And because you do that, you make yourself, you get yourself stuck in a holding pattern. Well, check this out. I've got this one buddy who I've known since I was in kindergarten. We're still like really close, like talk on the phone a couple times a week. And like, we're always just talking about shit, you know? Um, we do this thing where like, if we, if we don't plan anything spontaneous, if I just call him and I'm like, Hey dude, do you want to hang out? And he's like, yeah, dude. And we just meet up and we go do something nine times out of 10. It's fun. But when we go, dude, we should do something like that again. 100% of the time it sucks again. And, and part of the reason is because we add in this variable of like trying to relive the past instead of like trying to make the present moment, the present moment, or Mm -hmm. you don't even have to make it the present moment. It just is. You just have to participate. Right. Uh, and I've actually been likening this to myself recently because like I tend to have Sunday Mondays off. Right. And like my Sundays, sometimes they're home runs. Like I've had some Sundays that are just like so good because I didn't have any plans or no expectations. And I just like went through the Sunday and it was exactly what I needed it to be. Yeah. But then my Monday is dog shit because I try to make it my Sunday. Hmm interesting and so like i've i've had this thing before where i'm like my mondays aren't my sundays my sundays aren't my fridays right now is just right now like and so but you said something last night on the phone that was really interesting that i've like i've been thinking about as far as like carrying around essences when we're trying to create art you were like i'm starting to get i, I hope you don't mind me sharing yeah, this go ahead. too candid um you had said like i'm starting to feel the way that you you as a kid when you go to Disneyland the first time which is like super cool and that makes me like genuinely happy for you because I know exactly what you're talking about yeah um but carrying around that essence I don't think there's anything wrong with like dipping from that pot of the past and trying to make it now you know yeah, there's as, nothing as wrong you, with that as, as long as you go for the feeling honestly and you don't get stuck in a holding pattern that makes that that just keeps you in a place where you don't want to be well it's like high school coach dad syndrome you know yeah. where it's like come on champ we gotta win the state title we gotta yeah, do this they're reliving it through like all their kids and, and all their friends oh that and... stuff makes me so <laughs> that stuff makes me so depressed I, there's a guy in my hometown that's like that and i like just thinking about him right now makes me so sad because like every tragedy he's ever had in his life he has like subsidized with living vicariously through his children instead of like letting his yeah. kids be his well, kids it's damaging to the kids. Yeah. The kids too, end up being like, they don't choose who they want to be. They're forced into their, uh, cookie cutter. Like you're going to be what I wanted to be. Yep. And then that age. makes your kids. And then that <laughs> makes your kids have like personality derangement. Like mm-hmm. that's setting your kids up to not know who they are as adults. Oh yeah. Which is just a tragedy. Horrible. Yeah. Just horrible. But I, I don't know. I feel like... Um, and th- I was going to say something about spontaneity is I think this life and probably all of life has a degree of spontaneity to it. And there there are people who have to have every single little detail planned to like the minute. 
and most of the time those people are really anxious or unhappy like half the time or more and because no like fun to be around you know because at least for me like with hanging with friends or whatever half of it it's like they call me up do you want to go do something yes you know yeah where like you'll hit up a person who just has to plan every detail and they just get a giant hit of anxiety because they don't know what's going to happen. So they say no to all these opportunities and they say no to having fun because it wasn't planned three weeks in advance. And that's just a, that's a tough, that's another tough holding pattern to be in. I, okay. One of my, one of my favorite memories I've ever had was at warp tour in 2014. No, this is like 2000. Oh my God. No, 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 no. This is like 2010. Nice. It was like 2010 or 2009. Um, I went to Warp Tour and I really wanted to see Polar Bear Club. I really wanted to see Title Fight. This is, uh, I had I ever seen Title Fight before? I'd seen them at least once. I've seen, yeah, I'd already seen them once. I'd seen them four times. I was like, but I really want to see them. Um, and my friends that I was with did not want to see them at all. And uh, we got to the event. I'm, this is in the idea of spontaneity. And we were all uh, trying to just hang out together. And like, so everybody was like giving compromises left and right to what bands they were going to go see. And uh, <laughs> um, it was like one or two o'clock in the afternoon. No, it was later than that. Cause it was like the big finale of the night and taking back Sunday was there. And I loved taking back Sunday as a kid, but title fight was playing at the same time. And, uh, I went and saw title fight instead by myself. And it was phenomenal. That's another thing too, with the spontaneity is like, if you're stuck in a group and they're all doing something you don't want to do, but you leave <laughs> like that, that's actually something I've had a, problem with is i put because i don't want to be alone i've yeah. put like their opinions and wants over mine i've stopped hanging out with and, groups uh, for that very reason <laughs> and like i've it's taken me years to get better at it but now i'm like you know it's probably better for me to placate what my spirit needs versus what theirs does you know because hey we'll meet up after we'll go get dinner or something but like i want to go see these one or two bands yeah where the, they're gonna go see something that i think is horseshit yeah and even if other, i'm alone I'm going to have more fun than if I like just force myself to go watch a band I hated because to impress people you don't like or not even that just so you don't feel alone. Yeah. I, the reason I brought that up with the spontaneity is like, um, I've also had it happen to me where I've been at a music festival before and I was like, I need to see this band. But then I was seeing another band and I was having like this really incredible experience and I was like, Huh. Yeah. So it could, go, guess, it could go either way. I'm like, I guess, I guess I'm not yeah. going to go see that band that I really wanted to see because in this moment right here, I'm having so much fun. Yeah. Like, why would I go? And sometimes why would I leave and you'll go end roll up, the dice? Yeah. You'll end up catching a band who you didn't know about, but ends up being phenomenal or, or whatever. Yeah. Cause that's happened too. Yeah. Just yeah. go with your heart. Yeah. Just it's, and it's okay to break up the group. It's okay to go do things by yourself. Force. It's okay to go do things by yourself. I think that that's like the motive of like reality right now the for force a lot of will people. Be with you always. Yes. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay to be alone. It's okay to go do things by yourself. It's okay to have fun by yourself. It's okay to say no to group hanging out with groups. Um, yeah. I've basically stopped hanging out with groups. I haven't hung out in a big group in probably over a month. And, uh, I think the last time I hung out with a group was at your birthday party. Oh yeah. That, yeah. For the and most part. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. And I'm to the point now where I'm just like done hanging out in groups for the time being, just because first of all, it's hard to maintain that energy 
that is such well, a nightmare. And what's also hard is like feeling like you have to entertain everybody there and like make sure everybody's feeling good, like make sure you talked to everybody and like make sure no one feels excluded because someone, you know, normally it's not on purpose, but there's always someone who feels excluded. And it's most mostly because of a misunderstanding. Yeah. Because like, or egos. Yeah. So it's group stuff can be hard. <laughs> yeah. I'm just so uninterested by it at this point. Um, but yeah. Um. Well, I have another uh, success story here um, on Neville Goddard's revision. Um. Uh, so this this one comes straight out of The Law and the Promise, his book that we always recommend. Uh, this is from Chapter 3 in The Law and, and the Promise. Um, I'll, I'll see if I can link to it. Um, so this is by uh, someone who wrote to Neville Goddard. Um, they're going by the initials L.H. L. Ron Hubbard. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm stretching. Okay, here we go. All right. So, for 39 years, I had suffered from a weak back. The pain would increase and decrease, but would never leave completely. The condition had progressed to the point where I used medical treatment almost constantly. The doctor would put the hip right for the moment, but the pain simply would not go away. One night I heard you speak of revision and wondered to myself if a condition of almost 40 years could be revised. I had remembered at the age of three or four years old, I had fallen backward from a very high swing and had been quite ill at the time because of my serious, because of a serious hip injury. From that time on, I had never been completely free from pain and had paid many a dollar to alleviate the the condition to no avail this year during the month of august the pain had become more intense and one night i decided to test myself and attempt to revise that accident that ancient accident which had been the cause of so much distress and pain and costly medical fees most of my adult life many nights passed before i could feel myself back to the age of childhood play but i succeeded one night, I actually felt myself on the swing, feeling the rush of the wind as the swing rose higher and higher. As the swing slowed down, I jumped forward, landing solidly and easily on my feet. In the imaginal action, I ran to my mother and insisted she come watch what I can do. I did it again, jumping from the swing and landing safely on my two feet. I repeated this, ima- this magical action. Yeah, this imaginal act over and over until I fell asleep in the doing of it. Within two days, the pain in my back and hip began to recede, and within two months, the, the pain no longer existed for me. A condition that had plagued me for more than 39 years that had cost a small fortune and attempted cure was no more. So, and, and a few things to pay attention with the the success story is the length of time they put into it. People try to revise for maybe like three nights or maybe a week and nothing happens. And they're like, this is bullshit. I'm done. This person put two months into revising this event. So um, when you try these methods, if you're not giving it two or three months, sometimes before calling it quits, you stopped too early, just plain and simple. 
Um, and that's, that's what really throws people off is the, cause nowadays it's, I feel like because of all of the stimulus we get, it's harder to put sustained focused attention on one thing harder now more than it probably ever has been for the human race because of the amount of distraction. So doing a technique like this is probably harder now than ever before. So you, I mean, you must be committed to the revision or to whatever you're imagining in the state it can sleep before you throw the the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just thought of one more. It's sort of a, along the similar line. Um, I don't know if I would call this exactly revision, but it, it sort of is, and you'll hear what I mean. Um, but we'll we'll have to go over this book as well. But in Real Magic by Dean Radin, where he he puts forth the, a lot of actual empirical evidence uh, that these magical techniques have uh, real life ca- cause and effect, like in a physical, tangible reality. But um, one of them was they found a bunch of um, overweight like housekeepers for like hotels and motels and stuff. And all that they did in this experiment was point out, hey, you're on your feet all day and you're, you know, with the amount of calories that you're burning and with the amount of work that you're doing, like physical work, you know, going from room to room cleaning, you know, that's uh, some physical labor. You should technically be losing this amount of weight because you're burning this amount of calories. And all it took for them to lose weight was to be conscious of the fact and they measured their their weights. I, I don't know if it was like weeks or months later, but after they just had pointed out, hey, you do so much physical labor, you, your body's actually burning more calories than you think. They dropped weight without changing diet or exercise or anything. It was just they were conscious of the fact that the amount of cal- calories they were burning, should they should be under the weight that they were at, which that's is dope. insane. And that's why I, I think there's like an emotional... There's like an emotional and like traumatic component um, when it's hard for people to lose weight because they're holding on to like negative self-concepts or negative ideas and repeating them in their heads. And that manifests physically as having a higher weight. I think that's, I think there can be a correlation there. Not body shaming, by the way. I, I want us all to accept yeah, our, no, our bodies, <laughs> but there's still like a thing to be said with like being healthy and being in shape. Yeah. And, and, and you know, and I was being in shape is the identity of like being aware of what it is that you're consuming for your fuel source and understanding what it is, is your physical activity through the day. That's the definition of in shape to me. Yeah, pretty much. Everything else like falls like in line with that. Cool. Do you have anything else to add? That's that's all that's coming to me right now. You got some riffing in there, but I think it was pretty healthy. Yeah, it it was fun. Some yeah, fun riffing. Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, if you like what you heard and you want us to keep going, um, we'd really appreciate it. Um, if you could uh, send a, if you can afford it and you feel like doing it, you know, you could send us a dollar or like five dollars our way or whatever. Um, or if you want to join our Patreon, uh, go to our link tree. Um, which I'll include in the show notes, but it's uh, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash fake magic, all one word um, with a K added at the end. 
And uh, we're also at patreon.com forward slash fake magic. Um, we're sending out pin or we finally got the pins in stock and we're sending them out. So if uh, you join, I think it's at the adeptus level for two months, we'll send you some pins. Um, uh, there's some other goodies on there as well. Um, uh, eventually, Patreon supporters will have access to our musical tarot and our um, jailbreaking capitalism with Chaos Magic video series that I'm putting together. Um, the socials are Instagram at fake magic pod, all one word, and then the magic is the CK at the end. Twitter at fake magic with the K at the end. Um, and send us an email. I think it's, what's the email address? It's a fake magic pod at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, tell us what you think if, if things have helped, if things have hurt, uh, if you'd like us to cover something, send us a DM or something yep. or, or an email and let us know. But until next time, uh, try revising something horrible yeah. and uh, see what happens. We'll talk to you later. Laters.